This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. So, um, once again, this is Pastor Appreciation Month, and the topic that we've all been teaching on is restoration. So, I'm very hopeful that you all have been listening to the other messages, because even though the messages are being uh, being brought by different people, it's still the Word of God that's coming through. So, tonight, my portion, what I'm going to be teaching on is restoration, the process, and the purpose. So a lot of times we will do things and we don't have a reason or a purpose for doing it. We don't have an intended goal in mind. You know, like you'll go out, I'll use me for example, I'll go out and I'll just be a Target, Target's one of my favorite places. I'll go to Target, I'll go over to the makeup and I'll just buy something because it's just there. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I don't even have a plan for it. I just bought it. I just Now I just have it and I'm like, ooh, what am I going to do with this? I just have it. It serves no purpose. But that's not how God works. God, he's not, he's not going doing stuff and saying, now what am I going to do? So everything that God does is for a purpose. Restoration is God's will. The purpose of restoration is so I can be used by God. So when we think about Pastor Appreciation Month, and I, I was just saying things about our pastor and our founding pastor, what you have to understand is they had to go through the process of restoration. Therefore, they could be used by God. Nobody's going to get away from restoration. Everybody's going to go through restoration. And the thing about it is, restoration is a process. It's not instant. So once you decide to be restored, your restoration process begins. So it's not like, oh, I want to be restored, and I guess I'll start next week. No. When you decide to be restored, it's time to be restored. It's time to start being restored. And we're going to talk about what that means or or how you do that. So restoration is a process. So what is a process? A process is a series of actions or steps taken to achieve a particular end. So a process is a series of actions or steps taken to achieve a particular end. It's a, pro- a process is not a singular event or action. So in the definition there I said it's a series. So that means it goes on and on. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's not just one and stop. So it's not just a singular event in, in a point in time. So it's not like I come in Wednesday night and I say, God, I want to be restored. And then that's the end of it. No, it's the process. It goes on. A process goes in a specific direction, and it follows a specific path to get the result. The process of restoration goes in the direction and follows the path ordained by God. If you don't take the actions or the steps, if you go in the wrong direction or you get off the path, you won't get the result of restoration. So here, think of it this way. It's a process. It is not one thing. You're going to have to continue to do something. And you're going to have to move forward and move forward in the way that God tells you to move forward. If you don't do that, if you stop, if you get off the path, if you decide to do something different, if you take a different step. Let's say, like, like it, it, in my job, we do what we call uh, flow diagrams. And sometimes, most of the time, the flow goes like this. 
But sometimes you put a little diamond in there. And people, you can go this way or that way. That's not God. God goes like this. There's no, there's no decision. Oh, yes, no. No. If you decide to take a different path, first of all, you got to break out of the, the path, the, the process, and make your own way. And God's not doing that. God, you're going to stick with God's process. The thing about it is the process of restoration is not the product. So the process, I'm going through these steps, but the end result is the product. I'll get the product of the process that I go through. So if I don't go through the process of restoration, I will not get the product. I will not get the end result of restoration. So when the process is done properly, it's always going to yield the expected result or the expected product. So I was thinking about this and I was like, okay, let me think of a good way to explain this. And so I thought of something that I'm pretty familiar with, baking. So you think about baking, and let's say we want to bake some bread. So when you think about the ingredients of bread, if you put all those things out, like if I gave you some flour and some butter and some yeast and stuff like that, if you came to my house and I set all the ingredients just on a, on a platter and gave them to you, not mixed, nothing done, you say, Sister Castillo and lost her mind, what is going on? Because the ingredients just by themselves, they don't look like much. But the thing about it is, you take those ingredients, and you put in the specified amount. You can't put in what you want to put in. You can't do it like you want to do it. You have to go by that recipe. You wait the amount of time it tells you to wait. You do this, you do that, and you mix all those things together. Now, when you mix it, there's even a way you have to mix it. So, like, I was thinking about some recipes, and sometimes you'll, if you want something light, like you want something light and area, airy, you just don't go in and stir it all up like that. They'll tell you to fold it in. So that means you go in really nice and easy, and that makes it light and airy. Now, if I go in there and just rip it around and stir it real fast, then guess what? The product that at the end is not going to be what I expected. So, so that's the process. I'm talking about a process. Don't get caught up thinking you want to go bake some bread. Just sit here and listen to what I'm, what I'm going through. So you take the ingredients. You take the specific ingredients, the specific amounts, you put them in at the specified time. You're not going to put in everything together at the same time. You're going to put your wet ingredients in. You're going to put your dry ingredients in. You're going to mix it the way they tell you to mix it. And then everything's going to be there. You're going to have everything together, but you still don't have bread that you can eat. You shouldn't eat that. Don't do that. Um, so even with bread, you've got to wait a little while. You've got to knead it. You've got to let it rise. You've got to knead it again. You gotta proof it. All these things have to go in. And then you're like, well, I've done all this and it's still not ready. It's still not an end product. Now you gotta put some heat to it. You gotta put in some heat. You gotta do something to change that. So once you put that heat in, it becomes something totally different. So now, remember I said if I gave you, you came to my house and I gave you just a, 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 a platter of ingredients. You've been like, whoa, I'm about to go see you later. Let's say I just said, well, okay, I'll do a little bit better. I just bring you the dough. Here's the dough for the bread. Not ready, not baked. You know, something's still going on. Now, if I take that bread out of the oven, once it's been hot, you're like, whoa, now this is it. This is what I'm talking about. But there's still a little bit more. Everything looks fine, but you better not try to eat that bread fresh out of the oven. Hot out of the oven. It's got to cool a little bit. The thing about it is when, 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 things, when you bake, things cool. You can't eat something warm, but you're never going to eat something straight out of the oven. First of all, it's going to burn your mouth, and everything hadn't settled yet. It's still actually baking because it's still really hot. So you've got to let that period come in. You've got to finish that process. 
So once it's ready, once it's cooled off, it's ready to be used. Now I got some bread. Now what I started with looks nothing like with the finished product. Now that finished product I can use, and think about all the ways you can use it. You can make a sandwich. You can bake something else with that bread. You can do all these things. And guess what? The bread, you may use it today. If you baked enough, you're going to use it tomorrow, and so on and so on. And the thing about it is what you bake gives you nourishment, so it gives you strength to go do something else. So the process, I've got to go to the process to get to the product so that it can be used. So when we think about the process, that's what we want to look at. We don't want to focus on all these different things and it may look like, wait a minute, God, all this you're telling me to do, it doesn't seem like anything's going to get to where you want me to get to. And what God is is saying is, trust me. I know what you need. I know how much of it you need. I know how it needs to be delivered to you. I know what you, how long you need to wait. I know the cooling off period that you need. Just trust this process. In restoration, you have to understand that it's not about longevity or tenure. I know we hear, and, and it's been said, and it's true, that we're restoring this generation. But... You can't think that that's an age. You can't think because I've been in this ministry for this long, or I've been in whatever ministry for this long. I've been in this department, and I'm, I've been there the longest, and I've been doing this the longest, or I'm this age. I'm way off of that next generation age. I'm in my 50s. I'm in my 60s. I don't know what they mean. That's not what God is saying. If you're here, if you're here, you're still on this earth, there's still work for you to do. Restoration is still a part of your life. So don't sit and think that this is just not for me. Don't throw it away because you feel like you have um, what aged out or maybe you feel like um, it's not something that necessarily that, that is not focusing on you. If you're hearing these teachings, God is focusing on you. The teaching is for you. A lot of people are hearing it's individually for you. You can watch others be restored But that doesn't mean you're going to be restored. So you can be in this ministry and see other people going through the process of restoration, seeing the product of their lives. You'll see that restoration, and you think you can be restored by association, by being in this ministry, by tuning in to the live stream. Oh, you know, I give offerings sometimes. I do this. I do that. So I will be restored. I want you to write this down. It is possible to be in the midst of people who are being restored, and you miss out on your own restoration. So it's possible to be in the midst of people being restored, and you miss out on your own restoration. And we're going to, as we go through the teaching, you'll, you'll see how that's possible. Restoration is not a spectator sport. So I can't sit on the sideline. I can't tune in to ESPN or whatever. And just say, whoa, that restoration is good. I'm going to cheer for so-and-so today. I want them to be restored. They're doing good in their restoration. No, no. Yes, you can encourage other believers, but you have a work. Your restoration, you have to work that out. So your restoration, like I said, it's not a process. It's not going to happen all at once. Minister Martin mentioned this. He said, you're not called to be an overnight success. This is, this, is, this is a race. In the, in the word, it, it, uh, it describes it as a race. It's something we're running. We're running for mastery. We're striving for those things. We're pressing towards the mark. So, and you notice those verbs are always ING's. That means I'm continuing to do it. 
So it's not like I'm going to sit right here today and say, God, I'm restored, and then tomorrow not continue in that restoration. That's not how it is. It's a process. So in my teaching, there are three things that we're going to discuss. The first one is, what does appreciating my pastor have to do with the process of my restoration? What does, my, what does appreciating my pastor have to do with the process of my restoration? What is my part in the process of restoration? So what is my part in the process of restoration? And what is the purpose of being restored? Why do I need to be restored? Why are we even doing this? What does rest, uh, restoration produce? What, what is that end result? I said it was a process, and a process is a series of actions or steps taken that come to a particular end. What should be produced by my restoration? So the first thing we're going to look at is what does appreciating my pastor have to do with the process of my restoration? So go over to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to look at a few verses. We're going to look at uh, verses 11 through 16. So that's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. So um, I'm, I'm hoping you heard the other messages. I'm just kind of picking up where they left off. I'm kind of picking up where Minister Eberhardt and where Minister Hill left off on Wednesday and Sunday. So we're going to jump in. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Okay, so if you were to actually read this, I hate starting with the word and. Where you would start really, you'd actually read the whole book of Ephesians. But... um, in this case, we're starting kind of a, a thought here, and it starts in verse 8. It says, Wherefore he saith... So this is, this is talking about Jesus here. So when we see he, that is Jesus. So verse 11 says, And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So, basically this whole teaching is encompassed in those scriptures that I just looked at, that I just read. So, what you need to be restored will come from God. God, restoration is, is what God is doing. It's his plan. It's his work. So it's going to come from, his, from him. And God's not working outside of his prescribed order. So in this, in Ephesians chapter 4, it tells you how it's going to come. It's going to come through the pastor. So that's, that's, what, that's what the pastor's for. So how is appreciating your pastor, how does that line up with restoration? You know, why, why would that be, why would that be, a, why would we talk about that during Pastor Appreciation Month? 
appreciating your pastor, the gift of pastor. And, and I want to make sure that we, we understand this. The gift of pastor, the office of pastor is always in the earth, okay? Different people step in and out of that, that, that office. You're to respect the office and you're to respect the person in the office because it's a gift from God. When you disrespect your pastor and you disrespect the office of pastor, you're disrespecting God. It's, it's just that simple. So you think, a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, they're just saying that and that's just a man, that's just a woman. No, you're missing the whole point. You need to go back and listen to what Minister Everhart taught last week and the week before about spiritual maturity. You need to get your head out of this world system and get your head into what God is doing so you can see things how he's laying them out. Because that's the thing. You can't appreciate the gift that God has given you to restore you, and that's why you're not being restored. So to appreciate your pastor, you have to appreciate the work that she's called to do. So what is the work that she's called to do? She's called to minister the word to the people so that they're ready and they're prepared. When I appreciate the pastor and the work of the pastor, I value the work that God has called them to do. So I can say that I value the work. I can do all the special things during Pastor Appreciation Month. I can do all the special things that we do for our pastor, for our birthday, for Christmas, and all those different things. And I can send a nice little note on Facebook and all these different things. But the way that I am doing with God's work, that's going to show that I appreciate my pastor. So your actions, your lifestyle is going to show how you appreciate your, appreciate your pastor, not just your words. So, the, like I said, the pastor teaches the word so that the members can become ready or prepared to get involved in the work of serving others. So, we say, okay, that sounds good. I, I want to serve others. The thing about it is you have to serve others based on God's standards. Therefore, you have to be equipped or perfected to serve others. So that's what the teaching is going to do. That's what the pastor is going to do. Going to teach so that you can come perfected or equipped to serve others. So what does the word equip mean? It means cause something to be ready for its assigned purpose. A preparation or training that fully qualifies. It's to cause something to be ready for its assigned purpose. A preparation or training that fully qualifies. So the pastor provides what is necessary to equip other believers. And I want to stop right there. So the pastor provides what is necessary to equip other believers. So the pastor is also a believer. So it, it, it always amazes me. The pastor is called by God. And they are God's servants. But they're still a person. They're still a believer. The faithfulness that you see in your pastor, you should also have in your life. You can't use the excuse that, oh, that's the pastor. I don't have to do everything that the pastor does. No, you don't have to do everything that the pastor does because you're not called to be pastor. But you are called to be a believer, a child of God, a servant of God, just like she is. So you should still be producing the things that God says you should uh, produce. So that you don't have a little out because you say, I'm not a pastor. 
No, what you're saying is you don't want to do the work. But understand, the pastor is a believer who is called of God and they are obedient to God and they're doing what God has called them to do. So should you. So the pastor provides what is necessary to equip other believers so that they are stable doctrinally. And what that is is that they know the faith. They know, they know what they believe in. They're not, they can't be fooled and tricked. It talked about it here. Um, uh, tossed to and fro in verse 14. Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by a slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceit. So the pastor teaches and puts things in place so you are stable in the doctrine, in the faith. And then practically, so that you know how to apply what you live, what you believe in on a day-to-day basis. And that, when you are stable doctrinally and practically, it should lead to growth and edification of the body of Christ. So you're not just getting, you're not coming here, the pastor's not teaching, the pastor's not doing the things that the pastor does just so you can look pretty. Remember, God has a purpose. We're not just like little pretty uh, figurines that we set on a shelf and people look at us and say, oh, look at those, they're believers, they're restored. No, God has something for you to do. And what you do, it should lead, when, when you're established, it should lead to growth and edification of the body of Christ. God knows what we need to be complete and to be prepared. So, he works in his order. He gives those details to the pastor. The pastor gives the details to the congregation. So, now, if you were thinking about this, this would be a handoff right here. The pastor gets the instructions, the details from God. God gives it to the pastor. So, Gives it to the pastor. The pastor does what they, what God called them to do. They give it to the members of the body. The pastor lays it out, does everything she's supposed to do, steps back, you pick it up. So at that point, once the pastor is giving you what God uh, told uh, her to give you, it is no longer the pastor's responsibility. It's now your responsibility. So it's up to each individual member of the congregation to embrace, submit, and conform fully to what God has given them through the pastor. So you can't sit around, like I said, you can't sit here and be in disobedience and say you appreciate your work, the work of the pastor or appreciate the pastor because you don't appreciate what she does because you're not conforming to it. You're not obeying it. You're just like, oh, that's, that sounds good. It's a good teaching. That's good teaching. I like the way she says that. But you're not ready to live it. The pastor gives you what you need to be trained and qualified to do the work. So what you need comes from God through the pastor. The pastor does not do the work for you. I'm going to say it again. Write this if you're writing taking notes. If you t- uh, Write this in big letters. If you're typing on your computer, put your clap- caps lock on. The pastor does not do the work for you. It's your responsibility. Once the pastor has given you what they told you, what God told her, uh, her to give you, her work is done. She just obeys God. If God says, you know what, they need more understanding on that. Teach on this. Do this. Do that. She does that. But you have to carry that out yourself. When you expect your pastor or anybody else it doesn't matter, it, it, you may, it may be your dog, it may be your best friend, it may be your mama, 
your mama's best friend, whoever, your pastor or anybody else to do the work that you're responsible to do, you don't appreciate the work, uh, the, uh, your pastor. Because what you're doing is you're saying, well, it's not for me. That work, I, I, I'm not supposed to be doing it. That's for somebody else. We're going we're to keep talking about this and it's going to come clear. So to do the work, you must commit. So commit. Nothing's going to stop you. So your commitment, first of all, is to God. So you, you can come in and you can do everything in this ministry. You can be in everything. You can make every meeting. You can do all the stuff that's going on. I know it's not a whole lot now because we're in a pandemic, but whatever. Whatever virtual stuff, you can be at prayer. You can join on everything. You can do all that. But if you're not committed to God, you're not committed to his work. So first of all, you've got to make sure you're committed to God. Then your commitment to God will be seen through your commitment to the local ministry that God has called you to. So go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So, you know, it's interesting that the way things go, I I don't know, you know, I can only talk about the times we live in. People don't necessarily think they need to be committed to a local ministry. They don't think that they have to have accountability. They feel like they can just kind of float around and just kind of do, you know, God's called me to do this and do that. I'm just going to, I'm going to be a free spirit in God. That, no, you've got to commit. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And, and we're going to read this and think about this. You, you're, not, you're not just floating out there. You're not just, oh, I'll just go to this ministry because I like, um, I like their live stream better or I like their music better. And I'll come over here for the teaching because this is where I really get my word. But I'm going to do this. And, and this is really my pastor because I used to live in Philadelphia, but now I'm in Texas. But I really, that's my pastor right in Philadelphia, right? No, no. Okay, here we go. Let's read um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. But now God has set the members, every one of them, in the body as it pleased him. So all of the flighty, the I don't want to commit that this is really where I'm not supposed to be, but I'm just going here and biding my time. Or maybe I'm going to this ministry because I like this person and I want to be with them and they're really into that ministry. So I'm just going to go with them because it makes, you know, I can just spend time with them. No, 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 no. That's not what God is doing. There's no way. You cannot be restored unless you're in the place that God has called you to be in. God calls you to a local ministry. He expects you to be committed and involved in that ministry. He does not, like I said, this restoration is not a spectator sport. You're not going to come in here and just say, ooh, that's a good word, ooh, that's a good word, turn it off and say, I don't have nothing else to do with those people. God placed you in this body. That's just like my niece saying, I don't even want to be your, on you today. I'm going to run away. What? No. God, and, and, or is this, I'm going to run away. Or no, you know what? I'm just going to jump on the top of your forehead. Everything is out of whack. God places you in the body as he sees fit. He places you in the local ministry where you need to be. It's so amazing to me that we always think we know what we need. And usually we don't. Usually we don't. Like I was looking at this little thing and it was saying, oh, if you're craving this, this is really what your body needs. If you're craving this, this is really what your body needs. And I tried it. And I said, God, you know that's right. Because what I thought I needed was sugar. But no, your body said, no, really, you're thirsty. Go drink some water. Oh, 
So we always think we know what we need. We think we know, we, we, oh, well, I need to be in a church with, you know, a big singles minister. I need to be in a church where the children's church does this and this and this and that. And they have a, a drama club and that church doesn't have that. You don't know what you need. If you knew what you needed, you'd already have it. You have to follow God. God places you in the body as he sees fit. So your commitment is personal and individual. So you may come here with your family. You may come here with your friend. But let me tell you, your commitment is your commitment. It's, it, what other people do can't sway you. It can't make you do or it can't make you not do. It has to be your commitment. So God gives the pastor to a specific congregation. Church of the Living Water, our pastor is Pastor Al that's where That's who our pastor is. So what you need is going to come through the pastor of your local ministry that God has called you to do, called you to, to be in. You have to be in proper position. So in, in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about each joint supplying. If I'm out of position, there's no way I can get supplied. And there's no way I can supply, but we're going to talk about that later. So what you need to be restored the overwhelming majority of what you need is going to come through your pastor. So you say, well, I listened to this other guy and it really helped me. But let me tell you, it helped you because it was introduced through your pastor, through the local ministry. So you may, maybe you'll go, like I know it's happened to me, I've gone, I've heard something here and then I've gone to visit my family and I've gone to their church and, and the same, they're saying the same thing. And it's just God reminding me, hey, this is what I told you, this is what I told you. So what you need is coming through where God placed you. So you can't jump out and think that you're going to be restored. So you have to be connected and joined to the local ministry where God has given the pastor oversight of. So the Pastor Alva Hill has oversight of this ministry. She doesn't have oversight of somebody else's ministry. She has oversight of this ministry. And if this is where God has placed you, then she has oversight of you. And God is giving her what you need. That's why you can't be a nomad. You can't be a wanderer. You can't say, well, today I want to be a member of this church. Today I want to do this. And today I want to do that. No. You have to be where God has called you to be. You have to commit. You have to make it official. What do I mean by that? So you know how they have common law marriage? Oh, we've been living together. We love each other. There's no common law pastor. That's not how it is. You may say, well, I love Church of Living Water, and, and that's my pastor, and that's my pastor. If you're not committed here, it's not your pastor. You may like the teaching, and it may be good, and I'm not saying God's not giving you something through that, but... If you're not called here, then you have a pastor. There's a pastor God has for you, so you need to go get in that spot, and you need to make it official. You need to get where God has called you to be. And, and see, that's the thing. We get so used to the way the world does things. Oh, well, I'm, I'm a member. I mean, I'm not necessarily a member, or I didn't get that email because you're not a member. You don't know what's going on because you're not a member. You need to make it official. You're a member of this body or you're not. She's your pastor. She's not your pastor. Like I know when I found that Pastor Hill passed away, people who had left this ministry, well, I would say, oh, that's still my pastor. No, it's not. 
No, it's not. You may still call him Pastor Hill, but it's not your pastor because you're not, you're not doing what God's called you to do. Or, you, you know, you're not there anymore. You're somewhere else. Or you're being disobedient. Then the other thing about it is you can't be a member in name only. So maybe the first one didn't hit you, but here's the thing. Your mouth can say, that's my pastor, that's my church, but your actions don't. You know, I was thinking about it, and, and I, um, I kind of, I guess I don't want to say run, I guess I start the prayer line on, on Saturday morning. And I see a number of how many people have joined in. And it's always amazing to me that we have more people, I know, I know it's more people than I see. And I'm, I'm, I'm adding some too because I know, you know, you may have a family and they're all on one line and all that stuff. But I look at the number of people. And I said, so you can't even pray for your ministry? You don't even have to do nothing. All you got to do is dial a number. You're not wasting no gas. Well, it's not wasting when you come into prayer. You're not using any gas. You don't have to take a shower so you're not using water. It's Saturday if you still pay for minutes on your phone so it's free. All you got to do is call a number, stand up for an hour, and pray for your ministry. And you won't do that. So I don't care what else you're doing. You can't be a member in name only. Your actions are going to show that. You, you, you say, oh, I'm a member of that church, but you don't tithe. You don't give. You're, you're not a part of anything. You know, I, I, I'm going to say it. So, yeah, we're not doing all, all that we did before the pandemic. But you know things are still going on at this ministry? Have you even emailed to see if there's anything that you could do? You know, you, you don't know what, you just, all you know is that on Sundays and Wednesdays, you get the live stream. And you expect it, you expect it a certain way, but you never look to see what goes on behind that. Have you ever asked, have you ever, did you email and say, is there anything, do, do they need help cleaning the church? Is there anything that I could do now since we're not there that I couldn't do before because we were all there? Maybe, maybe there's some upkeep that the deacons need help with. Maybe there's something that I could help the children's ministry with. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, I have some skills. Maybe, maybe I know a little bit about distance learning. Let me try to help my other, my family who's trying to virtually teach their children because I have those skills and I can help them. Have you looked for those kind of things? Or are you just waiting for, you're like, well, we're not in church now. We're not going to church, so I'm just going to chill. That, 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 a member of the body, that's just like my hand saying, you know what, Kelly? I'm cold. You don't have no gloves on. Forget that mess. I ain't doing nothing. I'm just going to sit here. You ain't really using me. You're using your mouth. Why, why do you need me? That, that's what that's like. You're part of the body and name only. Listen. You're not going to be restored that way. You're not going to be restored that way. If I'm not invested in the place that God has ordained to bring my restoration through, that means if I'm not invested in the local ministry that God has ordained, called me to, that's where my restoration is going to come through, how can I expect to get a good return or a result? So I think about this. So, Let's say, okay, here's a good one. Amazon. Early, early, long time ago, I'm not going to use years because I don't want to talk about my age. But I remember when Amazon stock 
first started trading. So I knew about Amazon stock back then. I didn't buy any. I knew it was probably going to be a good thing. Now, I look at how much Amazon is worth, and I'm like, man, if I had just taken the opportunity to invest in, to take resources that I had and put it in that stock, look at where I would be. That's the same thing with the body, with the local ministry. If I don't invest in, if I don't take what I have and put it into where God has called me to be, how can I expect the result? I can't expect God, you just think God's going to throw it on you? That's not how it is. You have to want it. You may know it's a good word. You may see, like I said earlier, you can be in the midst of people being restored and you miss out on your own restoration. So I can't think that I'm going to be lazy and sit on the sidelines, disrespect the pastor, do all this crazy talking, all that kind of stuff, and be restored. That, that's, you're not going to be able to do that. You're just not going to get the right result. So God is sending what you need for restoration through his ordained order, which is the gift of pastor. The oversight of a local ministry is given to the pastor. So if you don't appreciate and value the work of the pastor, you cannot appreciate and value any work of that ministry. So what did I just say a little plainer? If you're disrespecting the pastor, if you don't think that she's called to be a pastor of this ministry, you always got something to say, you're always looking for ways to criticize, then don't think that when I'm up here teaching that you're getting anything from me. Because guess what? The pastor has the oversight of the ministry. Any of the other teachers, you're not, you may like it, you may take notes more when somebody else teaches, but you're still not getting it. You may love the children's ministry, but it's not benefiting you. Maybe benefiting your children because your children may have a little bit more understanding than you. You're not, you, it's not, the, the next gen, the um, youth with conviction, not women of color, whatever, men of integrity. If you got issues with the pastor, we're just going to break it down like we said. You got issues with the pastor. You don't want to do, like, I, and why is it always this? She is a woman. Oh, and she's a black woman. Oh, my God. What I don't know what God was thinking. You sure don't because you're not God. But if you have that issue, guess what? You got issues flowing all through your life. So I remember something my founding pastor would always say. If you can't be here, if this is not, if you can't learn under our pastor right now, you are free to go and be what God called you to be. But if God called you to be here, figure it out. Get over it. Get no, no. Here's the thing. Don't get over it. Don't get under it. Get through it. Because if you get over it you get under you're going to miss something. That's the process. Deal with the process. See? Anyway, next, next point. Okay. So, that is, if I, the work, restoration, if I don't appreciate my pastor, the work that the pastor does is equipping the body so that they can do the work of the ministry. So I can't be restored if I don't appreciate my pastor. So what is my part in the process of restoration? Your restoration is contingent on your will. It's contingent on what you put down, those things that you have that you get rid of, and what you're willing to pick up, those things that you need to put into your life. 
you have a choice in your involvement and usefulness in the kingdom work. There is work for you to do. God has a work for you to do. But you have a choice as to if you're going to get it done or not. Once again, you can be in the midst of people being restored and you miss out on your restoration. So I must actively participate in my restoration. I can't coast through my restoration. I can't think, you know, like you think about you're, on a, you're in a car and you're on a hill and you start going down and you just kind of coast down. That's not how restoration works. You're going to have to do some work. There's going to be effort that you're going to have to put forth. And that is going to have to be consistent. Like I said, it's a process. You're not going to start and then say, oh, I don't really want to be restored right now. I want to be restored, but I don't necessarily want to work it. You know, that's what I say all the time. I'm like, oh, God, I want more muscles. Oh, yeah. And then I look at the weights and I'm like, I don't want to work out. I'm not getting, I'm not going to be in shape. It's like either you're going to work out and be in shape or you're going to sit there and wish you could. That's like restoration. You're going to have to do some work. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 19 through 21. Verse 19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor, and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. So in the process of restoration, you're going to have to purge yourself. There is some purging that will be required. Now the thing about it is, with purging, it may be painful, it may be intense, But after the purging, the product will honor God. So what does it mean to purge? It means to get rid of, to cleanse thoroughly. So to purge means to get rid of, to cleanse thoroughly. So there are going to be some things. I told you earlier, there are some things that you're going to have to put down. There are some things you're going to have to pick up. There are things you're going to have to get rid of, and there are things you're going to have to add to your life. So during restoration... You're going to have to uh, um, endure some uncomfortable, inconvenient, and ugly facts about who you are, your situation, maybe things that you've done. And notice that I said the word facts, because guess what? Facts can be changed. And God, during restoration, God wants to change those facts by his truth. In verse 19, it says, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure that his truth is sure. So just because God brings that thing to you and it's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient, you didn't really want to hear it right now, you thought you were doing everything right, or it's something that you say, God, man, that's not an attitude I knew I had. It's an ugly thing. And God says, yes, there it is, but guess what? Now let me, let's purge that with my word, with my truth. So 
I have to allow his word to empower me to make those necessary changes, to get rid of those things, to be cleansed thoroughly. Because I, I, want, I want to get rid of these things, I want to be cleansed thoroughly, and I want to be done, wanting to be done God's way. And once again, it's not, we can't do it ourselves, we need the power of God. So what has to happen is we need, God shows it to us, and then we have to agree that it's there, and then say, God, I want to change. So I'm going to embrace it, I'm going to submit to God's will, and then I'm going to conform to God's will. So, so we, we look at this, let me see this. So we talk about being meat for God's use. In restoration, you will, you will be sanctified. There's no restoration without sanctification. Sanctification sets you apart to be used for God's purpose. So I know we hear the word sanctification, you're like, oh, sanctification. So like it says, that there's, that's what I was looking for, verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. So we're going to have to be sanctified. And I know sometimes we say the word sanctified and people get all nervous about it. But sanctification is just setting you apart for God's use. So what, what exactly does that mean? So what, what, what do we mean by sanctification? Setting me apart for God's use. Here's a definition of sanctification. It's salvation demonstrated by Christ-like living. Salvation... Excuse me, sanctification is salvation demonstrated by Christ-like living. So if you notice that it starts with salvation, it starts with that, that, that initial salvation, and it continues through your life. So this denotes consistency and ongoing behavior. Once again, it's a process. It is not a point-in-time event. It's not... You know, today, at this time, at this place, I'm sanctified. And then three minutes later, I'm not sanctified. It's a continual thing. It's just not when people are looking or when it's convenient. It's all the time. It's not taking days off or finding excuses why I can choose not to demonstrate that Christ-like behavior where they made me mad. Did you hear what they said to me? No. It is setting apart for God's use. It's salvation demonstrated by Christ-like living. So you have salvation. You believe that you are saved. You believe that you're born again. Do you ever stop believing that? Then you should never stop being sanctified. So your sanctification is is demonstrated by your life. Sanctification is both a divine divine act and a human act. So what do I mean by that? God's going to do a work and then I'm going to do a work. So I'm not sanctified by my own power, but by the power of God. I can only be sanctified when I allow the Holy Spirit to lead me away from ungodliness to godliness. In sanctification, there's no self-sanctification. But what there is, is a consistent dying to self. So God gives you the power to be sanctified. I said it in my last teaching, God initiates it. He gives you what you need and then you respond. So your response is a consistent dying to self. What does that mean? I want to say something that is ungodly. I don't say it. I die to myself. 
I don't want to do this. I, okay, here it is. In my mind, I've been taught all these things about what a pastor should be, and I still got that. I'm going to doubt itself, and I'm going to let God tell me what a pastor should be. I had all these in my mind how things should go and how things should work and what God's going to do through me. I can't be sanctified because now I've got a bad attitude when somebody tells me something different and I'm just being disobedient. I died of that attitude. And I said, God, what, what, what are you showing me to do? So that's what sanctification is. It's a consistent dying to self. When I experience God's love, I should act like I experience God's love. I shouldn't act like I don't know who God is. I remember growing up and even now, my mom would always tell us, my mom and dad would always tell us, remember what your last name is. That meant don't go out here acting a fool because remember who you are. That's the way as believers, God has shown us his love, so we should act like he's shown us his love. So in sanctification, God is working in you so that you can be conformed to his character. So as he's working in you, your thoughts, your will, your reactions, and your lifestyle would change to conform to who he is. Not to what we want to be, but to who he is. And now that God is working in you, it's going to be seen. So we'll use a really easy example. So let's say you um, will just yell at people and say mean things to people when somebody you know, says something to you. And let's say... You're in that situation again. Somebody says something to you, and you don't say anything back. You don't, you don't roll your eyes. You just keep on doing what you're doing. And you're like, wow, something changed. And, and, and so it happens again, and it happens again, and you still have the new reaction. The reaction because God is working in you. He's changed your thoughts. He's changed your emotion. He's changed your reaction. Now you do something different. And, and, and now people see that. So the inside, has God has been working on the inside. Remember those hidden, unseen things? God's been working on that. He's been working on those insecurities that you had that made you feel like you always had to have the last word. He's been working on, on those deficits that you thought, oh, i got to make up for those, so i got to be all this and all that. And God said, no, you're complete in me. Let me show you what to do. Let me, let me show you this. Let me show you that. And then after a while it just starts to, oh, it starts to grow and it starts to, to build up. And now when it's time when something presses that issue that will usually have you go off or maybe lose it, maybe, you know, usually something happens or, you know, maybe you have a tragedy or something sad happens and you just go all to pieces, you can't make it, you're depressed, you can't do nothing. And all of a sudden that same type of situation comes up and you react differently. You say, well, God, God is my peace. Yeah, I'm sad, but you know what? I still have hope. So that's coming out what God has worked in. When that happens, what God has been working in you is being experienced by others. So that is now God working through you. If I don't allow God to work in me, to do those things in me, to get rid of those things, to put in the things that I need to put in, that he's given me to put in, then there's no way that he can work through me. So I may be able to put up a front and put up a facade, but it's empty. So I have to let God work in me. I have to let him, let the power of God work in me so I can be sanctified. I have to submit to him. I have to embrace what he's telling me, and then I have to conform to it. And then 
others can experience God through me. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. So remember, restoration is a process. I have to let God work in me. I can't stop the work. I can't decide, God, I don't want to do that. Because if I do that, then he's not going to work through me. No, he, he can't. You're blocking it. It's like, no, it can't come through. So you're, you're putting up something and you're blocking it. So First um, Samuel verse, um, chapter 17, verses 32 through 37 is what we're going to read. And this is, and, and like I said, I really hope you guys heard Sunday's message because this is kind of a, a portion of what he, was, what he was teaching on. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight this Philistine. So here it is. It's Goliath, that this, this Philistine. And you know, remember, go back to Sunday's message and you talk about how big Goliath was and what was going on. And here comes David, this little guy, Young, you know, looks like he doesn't have a lot of experience, and he goes to the king. So, you know, think about this now. Think about your teenager going to the king and talking to him and saying this. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight this Philistine. So then Saul's like, mm, and, and David said to uh, and Saul said to David. Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art born a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defiled the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, and he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. So, what, what David is saying here, so David comes up and he's willing to do what nobody else is willing to do out of the whole army of Israel. And he goes and it doesn't look like he has what it takes. But he explains to the king, remember Saul's the king, you know what? I know how to handle this. I have experience. So when he gives the experience, he's like, I used to keep my dad's sheep. And so now let me tell you, think about this. You're at war. You got people, and they're they just going to beat you. you like, I don't even know. We're just going to sit here and be scared, and when they get ready to rip us apart, they're going to rip us apart. And then somebody comes up to you and say, I can take him. I can take him because I used to keep some sheep. What? Okay, that's great. Move along. But listen, listen how it all goes. David says, let me tell you what happened, though. I used to keep some sheep for my dad, and not even his own sheep, his dad's sheep. See, he's a good steward. He's serving. And what happened was, so David's out here, he's keeping the sheep. And a shepherd, that's a lonely life. There's not people out there. He's not hanging out with his friends. But then he says, a bear and a lion rose against him. 
So they came and they got a sheep, the bear and the lion, one, you know, different times, I'm sure. So David went and got the sheep out of the bear's mouth and out of the lion's mouth. That's not an easy thing to do. First of all, I'm going to tell you, I was thinking, I'd be like, my daddy would just have to be mad at me. I'm like, Dad, we lost the sheep today. It was a lion. And I said, you go ahead and have that because you're hungry. But, but, you know, you think about it. But what David said, not only did I get the sheep, but I slew him. He came up against me and I slew him. And that may seem like a small thing, but the thing about it is you can't start off just huge. You're going to have to start off in those what you may consider small things. It may not be a big thing, but you, you're thinking, oh, well, God, I, I want to do this. God, I want to conquer this. But your restoration is going to begin with those small things that you think are insignificant or unrelated. You know, I think about the teaching that started in September before we got in Pastor Appreciation Month, the the teaching on tithing. You can't see how tithing is going to matter in your life, but God is saying just be obedient in that because it's going to take you somewhere else. I'm sure David, when he slew that lion and that bear, he wasn't thinking I'm going to have to uh, kill the lion to save my people. No, he was just doing what he needed to do at that time. So you have to obey God where he's telling you to obey him. You can't go. God, if God is telling you to be a tither, then be a tither. Don't, don't try to go back and, oh, I'm going to jump back and do all these things. God said, no, obey now. Obey right now. Do what I called you to do. So... If you can't be obedient and faithful in those small things that nobody else sees. Like I said, nobody's out there with David when he's taking care of those sheep. I'm sure if, his dad, if he told his dad we lost a sheep because the bear got it or a lion, he'd be like, uh, that's reasonable. But if you can't be faithful in those small things, if you can't be faithful when nobody's watching, if you can't be obedient because we're not meeting, we're in a pandemic and you're having to do live stream, If you can't be obedient now, you're not going to be obedient in the big things. The big things are going to take you. You're going to be like Saul and the rest of the army of Israel, just sitting over there letting letting Goliath talk about everything. Say whatever you want to say. You're going to be sitting there scared. And God is saying, no, obey where you are right now. Those small things are necessary so that you can overcome the big things. And if you remember our, our pastor did some teaching like that, what you're being prepared for now it's going to move you on to other places. You're going to be restored. You're going to keep going to different things and you'll be able to handle more because you're able to handle the small things. Some people, there are things in your life that you believe God has called you to do or that you, you, you have a heart to do and, and you just can't get it done. There's always something that pulls you back. You always have a setback. And the thing that may be holding up your progress and your success is something that you think is small and significant. I'm going to tell you what God told me. It may be as small as a text message. Not messages, one. And you can't seem to overcome those secret things that are holding you in bondage. And you're wondering why. You're like, God, it's just what I think people will call, I can't get my breakthrough. And you're looking for this big, elaborate, intricate thing. And God is saying, no, it's a small fox. And God is saying, you can, you can get that done. You can get rid of those things. But you've got to decide to get rid of those things. 
you, you can't get revelation. You can't get wisdom. You hear the word being taught and you're like, it sounds good. You see people around you grabbing a hold of the word and taking it and using it and living it. And it's just something you're like, it's something that's holding me back and I can't get it. So you're struggling and you don't even know what you're struggling against, but you know it's something. Now, to deal with this issue, what you're going to have to do is you're going to take that to God. And what I mean is you're going to have to spend some serious alone time with God. You're going to have to acknowledge whatever's distracting you. And what I mean in this alone time, say, God, you know what? It's Thursday night. My favorite show is on. That could be a distraction for me. Now, you're acknowledging that to yourself. God already knows. You're going to have to talk to him about what, what your cares are. You know, God, this is, this is kind of weighing on me. i got some stuff to do at work. I'm not sure if I can do it. All those things you're just going to have to talk to God about. You have to lay them all out. Oh, God, I kind of don't feel good. My allergies are bothering me. So put it all out there. And then you're going to have to get quiet and get along with God. You're going to have to put away some things. You may call it a fast if you want to. You're going to have to put away the entertainment. You have to put away all your you have to get rid, uh, take care of all your responsibilities. You got a family. You need to take out the trash. You need to cook dinner. You need to do laundry. Get all that done. And then you need to press into your time with God. So the thing about a press, it's not just a little thing. When you press something, you're pushing. You're pushing forth an effort. That's why I mentioned all that stuff you're going to have to get out of the way because it's still going to come in. You're trying to break in. But what you have to do is you have to shut the door on those things. And you're going to have to get with God. And God is going to tell you what that thing is. He's probably always been telling you. But once you do that, he's going to show you. And he's going to empower you to do what needs to be done. So you get in that place. You get everything taken care of. You acknowledge your issues. You acknowledge your distractions. And then you get in there and you read your word. Then you study. Reading and studying are different. Reading, you're just reading like you're reading a book. I'm reading a book for entertainment. Boom. I'm just reading. I'm still paying attention. I'm reading it. And then studying the word means I take the word. I look things up. I listen to the messages. I put things together. I study it like you studying, like you studied for school, like you study for a test. And then you pray. And you ask God. You say, God... I don't even know. You, you can be like this. Sometimes I'm like, this, God, I don't even know what I'm praying for, but I just know it's something that I need and, and I'm not getting it. But you've got to go and you've got to press and you've got to do that. Those small things, there's no way that you're going to get, you're going to defeat Goliath if you haven't defeated the lion and the bear. You know what I was thinking about that. So if you're willing to kill a lion or a bear, you're also willing to kill a spider, a cricket, a bird. Whatever your little, little thing is, you're not scared of those things either. So some of it may be that small in your eyes. But God's saying it's those small foxes that are spoiling the vine. You've got to go in. You've got to do the work. God has given you everything that you need to do the work. You just have to do the work. You have to go in. You have to put your hands to it. You have to do what God is telling you to do. You've got to finish what you start. That means no shortcuts, no substitutions. You can't think that you're going to be restored doing it your way. You have to do it God's way because restoration is God's will. Amen? And I am out of time.
This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.